We had the privilege of celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ yesterday, as many people in the entire world did. And so we get a chance to go to him now, the ever-living one. Let's go to him and ask the Lord to help us to understand his word today. Lord God, we thank you so much that you, as the king of the universe, are our gentle shepherd. You lead us. You feed us. You help us to face day by day because you're with us, Lord. Those of us who know you as Lord and Savior, those of us in your flock, Lord, you feed us and you lead us and you protect us and you guide us. And so by your spirit, Lord, I pray that today as we return back to Deuteronomy, that uh, we will hear what you have to tell us today. Lord, as uh, we kind of transport ourselves back to the days of Israel and how they experienced you as you were giving your word on Mount Sinai. Help us, Lord, to understand. Help us, Lord, to apply what you have for us today. May we live as though we believe who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned in prayer, today we do return to Deuteronomy. And I know that some of you are very excited, looking forward to doing this. You know, I, I appreciate the, the Christmas series, but now we're back to Deuteronomy. And the gospel according to Moses is what Daniel Block labeled this book. It's what he called it. He's the go-to guy when we want to find out the things that are in Deuteronomy. And truly, Deuteronomy is good news. Good news. God saves his people by his grace and then tells his people how to live. And that, in a nutshell, is Deuteronomy. Now, we've got about 34 chapters. We're only in chapter 5, but we're going to see a lot of this unfold as we go through. But if you remember way back, mid-November, <laughs> seems like a long time ago, we finished up looking at the 10 words. Other people call them the 10 commandments, but they are really the 10 words. And taken together, what an incredible way the Lord gave to his people to live. Also, if you remember, we developed a three-statement call and response regarding the commands of God, especially in this book. God told the nation of Israel who he was before he gave the 10 words. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6. And by the way, if you don't have your Bibles open in Deuteronomy 5, uh, please do that. But he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So let me make a comment about this all-important sentence uttered by the Eternal One, for this is always how He has dealt with His people. We know Israel's history. God saved His people out of Egypt, and He described Himself to Israel in so many words like this, I am your Savior. I am your Deliverer. He took them from their taskmasters, and He set them free. Now, it took the Lord's devastating judgment on ten of Egypt's gods, killing the entire Egyptian army and her king to pull it off. But pull it off, he did. And because he did that, he delivered his people from being slaves. And Yahweh set them free. Therefore, they were to serve him. Again, notice the order. God delivers people, they become his people, and then he tells them how to live. As it was then, so it is now. God saves people through the offering of the blood of Jesus and through repentance 
and belief in the gospel of Christ, we receive the gift of salvation. When Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior, then we obey his commands. Even as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, then you were free in regards to righteousness. Now on the flip side of that same coin, when we became God's servants, we became free then in regards to wickedness and sin. We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from wickedness. And so the pattern has always been this. Grace first, then growth. First grace, then growth. Justification, where God declares a person in a right relationship with him. Then it's sanctification, where we cooperate with the Lord's working in our lives that we might become more like Jesus. And so now having stated this eternal truth in how the Lord has always treated his people, let's review the call and response. First question is, who has God given his commands to? What's the answer? His people. Let's get excited, guys. His people. Who has God not given his commands to? Not his people. And then why did God give his commands to his people? To show the Lord they love him. And I left off there. I should have put that on there. Show the Lord they love him by obeying him. What did Jesus say? He says, if you love me, do what? Keep my commandments. Yahweh said this in Deuteronomy as well, and also in Exodus. And so today, we want to take a look at the magnitude of the majesty of God, both in Deuteronomy and in Christ. Speaking of Christ, isn't it great that we were able to freely worship Messiah Jesus yesterday, his birth? How many places in the world is this not possible? Think Eritrea. You know, maybe they do, you know, because the Orthodox Church there. If I think about North Korea, I think about Iran, I think about all of these other places. We can give thanks to the Lord, even in the difficulties in our culture. We still can give thanks that we live in the freest country on the planet. You know, that cute little baby born 2,000 years ago came into the world in, shall we say, less than ideal circumstances. But nevertheless, his birth, his life, his ministry, and as we anticipate his return, all things Jesus are truly majestic. But as we will see today, the majesty of Jesus is probably not as you have heard. There is a direct tie-in between Yahweh in this passage and in Jesus after he rose again from the dead. So again, our passage for today is Deuteronomy 5, 22 to 33. In these verses, I want to try as much as we can to get us into the mindset of, of trying to experience what the people of Israel experienced. I want to be transported back to without a doubt what was the second most dramatic thing Israel experienced until Messiah came on the scene. Now, of course, we know the first most dramatic thing is Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. The second most dramatic thing, the second most intense experience that they had was when the Lord visited them on Mount Sinai and he gave them his 10 words. But now, I'm going to try to do this, but it may be difficult to do this. See, Hollywood sometimes desensitizes us to reality. Enter Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments. How many people have not seen that movie? I think we all have. 
In this classic movie, DeMille tried very hard to recreate things as accurately as possible, along with employing the -the state-of-the-art special effects of his day. Nowadays, we look at that and say, oh, that's kind of cheesy. But back then, that was state-of-the-art. Second, though, how many times have we simply read the story of God giving the law on Mount Sinai and a story that we often conclude that we have very little to do with? After all, we think this so often, don't we? Law bad, grace good. And so if we're faithful Bible readers trying to read through the Bible in a year, we encounter this story in Exodus in the month of January. And then what do we do? We go on through and then we engage in Israel's saga, the next event, the next episode. And then next year, we start all over again. So next January, we see this story again. And so today I've asked Liam and Shirley to help me so you won't hear me droning on and on. And my prayer for us is to try to experience as best we can how the people of Israel might have experienced Yahweh's revelation of himself when his people were at the foot of Mount Sinai. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved images or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath. To the Lord your God, on it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Do you feel the magnitude of Yahweh's majesty? 
Can you see in your mind's eye the Lord coming down on the mountain? Can you hear the loud thunder, the loud trumpet, and hear the only true God thunder his commandments? You know, that's not something that a person who can fog a mirror, who has breath in his lungs, can easily forget. Those of us who are around, around 9 and 11, who remember this, we know exactly where we were when that happened. Or on the happy side, those who have been to the altar and gotten married, who can forget the experience of your bride coming down the aisle to you? Or is a bride approaching your groom? Some things are absolutely life-altering in those kinds of events. We are changed for the rest of our days. And when Israel experienced their Lord giving them the ten words, there was a profound, though tragically, short-lived paradigm shift. A mighty change occurred in their lives. Now, the intensity of their experiences was burned into their minds and their hearts, so much so that everybody who was anybody in authority, in their tribes, and their recognized wise leaders came to Moses. As soon as the Lord appeared to them, they came to Moses trembling, probably stammering over their words. They had something to say to Moses. Lord, our God has showed us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God does speak with man, and he lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Go near and hear what the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God shall speak to you. And we will hear it and do it. So how did Israel experience God in his majestic glory? In a word, if we have to go through this again, we're going to die. The divine fire will consume us. So what was happening here? God was simply being who he was. Israel identified this revelation of him as his glory and his greatness. And with this revelation of his person came the revelation of his will for them as their glorious savior, as their great deliverer. And as the Lord revealed his glory and greatness at that time on the mountain, let's consider something that definitely wasn't happening. And though we tend to assume it was happening. See, we often see the Lord in the Old Testament as angry, mean, mean-spirited, with lightning bolts in his fist, ready to strike people at the least little violation of his very strict but impossible-to-keep laws. Now, I've heard it put this way. The Lord looks down at people living their lives, just enjoying God's good gifts to them. And then the Lord leans over the railing in heaven. He looks down on his people and he yells at them, You having fun down there? And the people look up and say, yes, Lord. Well, cut it out. But that is not how God reveals himself in the second most intense episode of Israel's history before the coming of the Messiah. 
Notice how with the Lord there is no hint of anger toward his people. He made no threats. He didn't tell anybody one little misstep and you're a grease spot on the ground. With the Lord, Israel's Savior revealed to them a summary statement of his ways. Yahweh was simply being himself. And Israel responded in the way that beings far inferior to Yahweh respond. Abject fear. See, that's the baseline, though. But we're going to see in a moment there's far more to the Lord's revelation of himself in this passage than raw, primal fear. So what we have here is simply, but profoundly, a vast difference between God of the universe and fallen human beings. The Lord is being himself, and Israel as a nation is being himself. The Lord communicated loud and clear what he wanted out of his now saved people. And the people verbalized what the Lord wanted. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 27 at the end of that verse. We will hear, they said, as as we will hear his command and we will do it. Wouldn't you? But along with them expressing their intention to do what the Lord said, they were extremely desirous of one thing. Again, found in verse 27. They told Moses, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all that the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear and we will do it. We need somebody to go between us. Moses, the people said, you go and hear what the Lord wants us to know. You return to us and we'll be sure to hear what the Lord wants to tell us and we will do it. In other words, in their terrified state, they felt they needed a go-between. We would call that a mediator, someone who represents us to God and someone who represents God to us. Because the bottom line is this. We can't handle the glory of the Lord full force. But now with a fresh vision of the absolute majestic king in the universe firmly in our minds comes the question. What now? God being who he is, thundering out his ways, what do his people make of this almighty being? Fast forward centuries later, King David asked the question in Psalm 24, verses 8 and 10. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is a king of glory. Selah, stop and think about that. So we wait, O King of glory, for further revelation of who you are. And for Moses in Deuteronomy 5, we don't have to wait for very long because Yahweh tells us in Deuteronomy 5, 28 and 29. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. I don't know about you, but what this does to me, this powerful revelation of the king of glory moves me to the core. Do you hear his heart here? He sounds almost wistful, as though the Lord is expressing a sadness, a longing for his people to have a relationship with him on God's terms, not theirs. 
He is the faithful one. But as the one who is all-knowing, he knows his people are not. But nevertheless, what the Lord is after is an obedient people. But not in the way the Egyptians demanded obedience of them. The obedience the king of glory desires is that his people have a trusting, submissive relationship to him. Notice the desired outcome of his people as they obey him. It's for their good and for the good of their kids and their grandkids and on and on. So let's talk a little bit more about the king's desire that his people obey him. The heart of this chapter is the 10 words. In reality, this is a summary statement of how Yahweh wanted his people to live. I mentioned just a moment ago that the Lord desires his people to have a trusting, submissive relationship to him. Now, it's not as though the Lord gave the 10 words to his subjects, only to have his subjects slavishly follow them. It's far more to it than that. As we get further into Deuteronomy, we're going to see this. But for now, let's look at how the Savior of Israel, the King of glory, sets up the environment which produces in his people a trusting, submissive relationship to him. Let's look at Deuteronomy 5, 31, 32. But you, Moses, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them, that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand, In a nutshell, God delivered and thundered out from himself on the mountain a summary statement of his ways from that place. Notice now what the Lord is telling Moses. I'll tell you, not merely the summary statement, Moses. I'm going to give you the whole commandment, the statutes, and the rules that you shall, wait for it, teach. Teach them. As in, teach the people, teach the people my ways. But let's stop there for a second. See, the Lord said to Moses, I gave the people, as it were, the Cliff Notes version of my ways. But hear me well, Moses, I'm giving you the entire textbook of my ways. And I appoint you to teach the people my ways. So let's go on the rest of verse 31. You shall teach them, Moses, teach them my ways. Why? so that they may do them in the land which they are going to possess. Then the Lord reiterates the blessings he will give them, should the people live in a trusting, submissive relationship to him. So what is the Lord telling Moses? In a word, discipleship. That's what he's doing here. Here's how it works. Step one, Moses learns the textbook on what the Lord wants. Step two, Moses obeys the ways of the Lord. Because you can't very well teach people to obey unless you're obeying, right? Step three, Moses teaches the ways of the Lord to Israel. And step four, Moses' goal is that Israel obeys all that Yahweh has commanded them. In short, Moses teaches the Lord's ways to the Lord's people. They observe all that he has commanded them. Now, where have we heard that kind of statement before? But before we leave the intense experience of the people's overwhelming fear of the king, 
there is still that vast distance and vast difference between Yahweh, the king of glory, and Israel, the nation that the king delivered. Now, it's true that Moses is the mediator between them and the people. But Moses is not sinless, is he? Not by a long shot. Moses has a past. Murder is on his rap sheet. A violent temper as well to his own hurt. Remember that Deuteronomy is, in part, Moses' last words before he died, being disqualified from entering into the promised land because of his violent temper. Simply put, the people needed something more. They and we need a perfect example of what it means to live the ways of the Lord. They and we need, as it's been said, God with skin. Those of you who have heard of Paul Harvey, or maybe actually have heard Paul Harvey when he was still around, know that he was a master storyteller. He often told the story I'm about to share right around Christmas time. But the author, apparently, no one knows. No one knows who wrote this story, but it's an amazing story. The man in this story was not a Scrooge. He was a very decent, kind, mostly good man. He was generous to his family and upright in his dealings with other men. But he just didn't believe in all of that incarnation stuff that the churches proclaim at Christmas time. It just didn't make sense, and he was too honest to pretend otherwise. He just couldn't swallow this Jesus story about God coming to earth as a man. He told his wife, you know, I'm truly sorry to distress you, but I'm not going to go with you and the children to the church service tonight, Christmas Eve. He said he would feel like a hypocrite and they'd just much rather stay at home and, and that he would wait up for them when they got back, though. And shortly after the family drove away, the snow began to fall. He went to the window to watch the flurries getting heavier and heavier. And then he went back to his fireside chair and began to read his paper. Minutes later, he was startled by a thudding sound. Then another, and then another. And at first thought, he thought somebody was throwing snowballs at his window. But then he went to the front door and investigated, and he found a flock of birds huddled outside miserably in the snow. They'd been caught in the storm, and in a desperate search for shelter, they had tried to fly through his large window. And that's what was making the sound. Well, he couldn't just let the poor creatures lie there and freeze. So he remembered the barn where his children stabled their pony. And that would provide a warm shelter, he thought. And all he would have to do is to direct the birds into the shelter. Quickly, he put on his coat and his galoshes, and he trampled through the deepening snow to the barn. He opened the doors wide and turned on the lights so that the birds would know the way in. But the birds didn't come in. So he figured that, that food would entice them. I mean, it entices us, doesn't it? He hurried back to the house, and he fetched some breadcrumbs. He sprinkled them on the snow, making a trail of breadcrumbs to the yellow-lighted open doorway of the stable. But to his dismay, the birds ignored the breadcrumbs. The birds continued to flap around it helplessly in the snow. He tried to catch them, but he couldn't. He tried shooing them into the barn by walking around and, and waving his arms. Instead, they scattered in every direction. That is, every direction except toward the barn. And that's when he realized they were afraid of him. To them, he reasoned, I'm a strange and terrifying creature. If only I could think of some way to let them know that they could trust me. 
that I'm not trying to hurt them, but how to help them. Any movie made tended to frighten them and to confuse them. They just would not follow. They would not be led or shooed because they feared him. And he thought to himself, if I could only be a bird, and I could mingle with them, and I could speak their language, then I could tell them not to be afraid, and I could show them the way to be safe and warm, to the safe, warm barn. But I would have to become one of them so they could see and hear and understand. At that moment, the church bells began to ring. The sound reached his ears above the sound of the wind. He stood there listening to the bells, listening to the bells, pealing the glad tidings of Christmas. And he sank to his knees. Jesus is God with skin. He came to earth and he dwelled among rebellious, frightened humans who cannot bear to experience the full force of the glory and the majesty of Yahweh. Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life. He showed us how to live out the ways of Yahweh. And he made purification for your soul and for my soul. He took upon himself all of my sin and your sin. He cried out on the cross, it's finished. The sin debt paid in full. And those who have embraced the gospel of Christ and the Christ of the gospel enter into the flow of what the Lord told Moses. In a word, discipleship. Here again, the words of the crucified, resurrected Lord Jesus as he gives his final instruction to his men. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here again, Yahweh's words he spoke to Moses in Deuteronomy 5.31. But you, Moses, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment and the statutes and the rules that you shall teach them that they may do them in the land that I'm giving them to possess. You know anything in common with these two passages of Scripture? Jesus has all authority. Yahweh has all authority. Jesus tells his disciples to teach all nations. Yahweh tells Moses to teach all Israel. Jesus commanded his disciples to teach others to obey all that he has commanded them. Yahweh tells Moses to teach all Israel to obey all that he has commanded them. Do you see a tie in here? Yahweh commissions Moses to teach Israel to obey everything the Lord commanded him. In a word, that Israel would become disciples of Yahweh. Jesus commissions his apostles to teach all nations to obey everything the Lord commanded them. In a word, that people from all nations will become disciples of Jesus. The magnitude of the majesty of Yahweh. The magnitude of the majesty of the glorified Lord Jesus. Can't you hear the heart of Yahweh in Christ? Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. So as we exit 2021, may we recommit ourselves to him. The Lord Jesus, God with skin, crucified, buried, 
gloriously raised from the dead, ascended to heaven to the right hand of the Father, he will return to judge the living and the dead. And the Lord Jesus will tell those who have served him in this life when all stand before him on that day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So let me ask you this morning, where are you in your followership to Jesus? See, what we call the Great Commission is not an option. It is a command given by God with skin. Are you making disciples of Jesus? Or are you being a disobedient disciple? May the Lord challenge you, if you are not intentionally engaged in making disciples of Jesus, to teach God's people God's ways to be obedient to him. May you recommit yourself to this. May the Lord not be wistful over you and me when it's all said and done. As we close this message, it all comes down to his amazing grace, doesn't it? Let the chorus of this song, you know I don't sing, but let the chorus of this song ring in your ears. Let's follow the Lord Jesus, making disciples. Let's show him that we love him because he loved us first. And serving him is all about this, saying, thank you, Lord, for taking away my sin. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. What about you? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Lord, your desire is that we know your ways so it may go well with us and our children and our grandchildren. And Lord, for those who have not even entered into this state of marriage yet, that's to come. Lord, it's your desire that, that we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's your desire, Lord, that we be your faithful representatives on this earth. But Lord, we've fallen. We've fallen into sin. We've fallen into rebellion. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, to be qualified to be that sacrifice. And now, Lord, our desire, our heart's desire, our commitment to you is that we would live out your ways in our lives. And that, Lord, we would be willing and that we would take the risk and that we would invest our lives in the lives of others so that they too may become disciples of yours. And all the while, Lord, we are teaching those around us while we ourselves are being faithful to you. Lord, that we teach them that we that they would obey you and obey you, Lord, because they would love you, because you've loved us first. So thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit will help us seal to our hearts these things that we need to have sealed to our hearts. May we never forget what you have done for us. And we thank you for these things now, Lord. I pray as we turn our attention to the giving and to the singing. We want to thank you for your provision for us and help us now, Lord, to give of our worship to you because you alone deserve it in Jesus' name.